We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. It's my turn. It was my turn three pregnancies ago. There's no heartbeat yet. There's no sperm. I will do anything. I just want so much to be a mother. There's a line. There's a line. And we did a transfer, one embryo in each surrogate. I have learnt that I am so freaking amazing. Families come together in many different ways and we need to normalise this. Have sex and get pregnant. It's that easy, right? Not for one in six of us. From the makers of Beyond the Bump, we, Sophie, Jade and La, bring you Behind the Bump. A place to share stories and shed light on miscarriage, IVF, infertility and more. So if you're trying to conceive, or if your friend is doing IVF, if you just love a moving story, then Behind the Bump is the podcast for you. Hello, Jay. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. I have goosebumps. We are so excited. Welcome to the first episode of Behind the Bump, a new podcast series brought to you by Jade. Hello. Myself, Sophie, from Beyond the Bump, and our new co-host for this series, Lakshmi. Hello. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. Hello to everyone listening, whether you are in the trenches, beyond the trench, before the trench, beside the trench. Um, we, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, yeah. We are really, yes, yeah, so, so honoured and excited to be sharing these stories. These are the stories that I longed for and ached for so desperately when I was trying for my second baby and yeah it's just something that we really hope can be a comfort to you or provide education or just be a really moving story that will forever be in your heart. Now I know what you're all thinking how am I gonna listen to all three of you guys gas plus a guest guest. don't worry we are taking it in turn so I'm out of this episode so I'm gonna leg it but every second episode you'll have Sophie and La or Jade and La and And um, yeah, it's a really, really incredible series. I'm so proud to be a part of something like this. Yeah, and we understand that for those that are still trying to conceive, Beyond the Bump is not always necessarily a safe place. So we hope that Behind the Bump can be that place for you while you're on this journey. And maybe even if you're like Jade and I who haven't gone through these experiences, the amount that I've learnt to Mm. be able to then support others around me who maybe are going through something similar has been invaluable for me. So yeah, and a lot Along the same veins, we actually have created a space which is just for those who really are looking for support or to chat about the episode or if you want to talk about your story or anything to do with this series. It is a Facebook group. It's The link is in the show notes and it's called Behind the Bump. I will be in there along with Jade and Sophie from time to time. So feel free to pop in there and talk about anything you need to on this journey that you're on. And without further ado, we are going to get into the first episode of Behind the Bump. We hope you enjoy this listen. And as we've said, we cannot wait to share this series with you. Welcome to Behind the Bump. Thank you for all of our beautiful listeners tuning in. I'm here today, obviously, Lakshmi Wilson, your host, along with my beautiful co-host, Sophie Pierce. And we have Katie coming on to tell her bloody crazy roller coaster of a story from what I know. I've been 
talking to Katie probably for a few years online. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I'm third wheeling. Is it all you right? Are, you are, you are, babe. It's all right. We'll get you up to speed. But, yeah, like I can't wait to hear your story from go to woe. So can we take us back to the start of your journey trying for a baby? Like how did you go into that? Did you foresee there would be difficulty? What was, yeah, what was your mind like at the time? So I've got some chronic health problems and so the medical world is very, very well known to myself and my husband and I just kind of thought, like I always worried that I would have infertility issues because I've got stage four endometriosis as well and adenomyosis. But I was always like, no, I'm going to be fine. This isn't going to be a medical issue. This is just going to be normal. And then so we started trying in 2019 and it was just kind of one of those like, let it, let's see what happens and nothing happened. And I was pretty sick during 2019. And then we got to 2020 and we started trying a bit more aggressively and we had our first chemical pregnancy, I think in about May. And I was kind of like, oh, this is pretty upsetting. And so I called beautiful Amanda. She's my acupuncturist. So she's at Angia. Um, and I called her and I was like, man, what do I do? And she referred me to Dr. Nick because Amanda knew that I had a bunch of health problems. And yeah, so we went straight to Dr. Nick and he started doing all this testing. And yeah, it was just very full on because pretty much immediately, like since getting pregnant and having a chemical, it was just we were inundated with all these medical stuff. So it was Dr. Nick sending kind of letter after letter explaining like, you've got this wrong, you've got this wrong, you've got this. And it was just this barrage of information. And I was just, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. And take us back a bit. Do you mind talking about any of your chronic health issues or would you rather no, not I love say? It. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Great. Please give me a floor. So what were they or are they? Yeah, there's a bunch. So I've got a rare connective tissue disease called scleroderma. Mm -hmm. So it's connective tissue. It's with the fascia. It basically is an overproduction of collagen and it affects my joints. It affects the skin on my hands. It affects skin everywhere. Like you look really youthful or no, (laughs) not the good collagen. Not the good kind of youthful. Like for a lot of people, I'm lucky. I don't have a lot of face changes yet, Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of people are really tight and like they lose their lips. Our hands get really tight in our feet. Um, I also have shocking circulation. So I've got Raynaud's. It also deals, it, it messes up my digestive tract. So I have Barrett's esophagus. So my lower esophageal sphincter doesn't close. So I've got chronic reflux. I also have a hiatus hernia. So yeah, there's a bunch of fun things that happen. And is it something that is linked with fertility issues? So scleroderma's It's quite rare. So it really only affects 6,000 people in Australia. So not normally. I I checked like all of my scleroderma friends and none of them seem to have had infertility issues. So it just seems not really. Yeah. And when you started on this journey, how old were you? And had you had any other people around you that had had miscarriages? I mean, I know when I had a miscarriage, I didn't really know of anyone else who had had one until I started speaking about it. And then I was like, oh, well, um, no, a lot of people around me have. But was it something that you kind of saw as, you know, a possibility in your story? So I hadn't really known that many people, but 
and and a lot of my friends hadn't even had babies. We'd only had one mm. friend who had had a baby and my sister, but that one friend, my darling friend, Alessia, she had a miscarriage very unexpectedly in 2019. Mm. So, yeah, so I knew of it from her experience and I messaged mm. her and, you know, I was like, what is happening? You know, so she was really helpful and she was beautiful throughout my entire pregnancy as well. But, yeah, aside from her, like there was no one else. So it was kind of like, why me? So when you were sent to a fertility specialist and they did all this testing and came back with all of these like, this is wrong, this is wrong, was there a part of that? I'm just relating back to my own journey and like getting answers sometimes while negative were often just a bit of a like, okay, well, at least we've got something to go off now. Did you feel like it was kind of not exciting, but helpful to have a plan and like something to work with? Yeah, definitely. Because I am a bit of a type A, so I'm a planner. I like everything organized. And so I was kind of like, right, okay, this is my new project. And, you know, I take everything very seriously. And I was kind of like, we, we know the medical field. We know how to make, you know, a medical thing work. So we were just like, right, this is just our next hurdle. And so we were like, right, this is it. This is what we're going to do. It's going to work. You know, we're going to get all our ducks in a row and then we're just going to, it's going to work. So what were those ducks? Did he want you to start IVF right away? So our fertility specialist wanted us to go for the full immune protocol. So it was the LMIT, the prednisolone, uh, intralipids, uh, the clexane, progesterone, all of those sorts of things. So yeah, it was a lot of information, but, you know, we were comfortable going into that sphere. So, yeah, we were just like, okay, let's get it done. How was your, is, is it your husband, partner? Yeah, yep, husband. my darling husband. Uh, darling husband, <laughs> DH. So how <laughs> did he, like, embark on this journey with you and how has he been, like, your biggest support or, like, how has that challenge kind oh, of cry. been for you guys? So he's he's beautiful, like he is with anything medical related for me. He's just the most phenomenal support. And he was like, okay, you know, we've faced adversity before. We can do it again. I was kind of like, Let, let's just do this and then we'll get pregnant. We're going to be fine. He was kind of more like, this seems like it's going to be a long road. Mm. And he's like, no matter what happens, we're going to stick at this. We're going to get a baby and it's probably going to take a while. Yeah, so he's been phenomenal. He was, yeah, from day dot. He was in it. He was calm. He was collected. He was just like, let's do it step by step. Let's make it work. Was there a part of you that felt a bit, I mean, I think that no matter who goes through like a rough road in fertility, you feel like it's unfair. But in your position, did you feel like I've already had my thing? Like I've got my thing and it's chronic and I have to deal with that every day. Why do I also have to deal with this thing as well? Yeah, I feel like that's me all the time, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, even in motherhood, it's like, oh, really? Why me? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that was going back to my mindset at the time, it was crushing. Like I was just devastated, like that kind of like heaving on the floor, just like beside myself, like why me? It's not fair. Like I've had enough of this kind of rubbish. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, definitely why me? So what did your journey look like from then? So you started the immune protocol, you started IVF, you had, from my understanding, did you have a number of losses after that, like back to back? So while we were waiting for all our testing results to come in from our fertility doctor, we had a second uh, chemical pregnancy. I feel like I just kept having chemical pregnancy one after the other. 
And then our third pregnancy, we were fully on the immune protocol and everything looked fine with our son. And then we had quite a few scans. And then it was, I think, our fourth scan at 11 weeks. Our OB was like, your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. Um, So that was just awful, to be honest, because it was kind of like we got to 11 weeks. You're so close to that 13-week kind of moment where you get Magical to tell everyone and and I just I just remember sitting there and she was quiet for a really long time and I said is the baby there still like is he in there and she said he's in there but there's no heartbeat and I just my response was like are you effing kidding me yeah I was just like no I just I couldn't believe it. You know, you go through all of this, you have all these problems and you think you finally, you finally won. And then it's just, yeah. More bad news, more heartbreak. Had you had previous scans and there had been a heartbeat, so you'd been feeling confident and yeah. So this was our fourth scan and he was fine previously. And then, yeah, he was no longer fine. And it's just, I remember one of my major responses or reactions to problems like this is just I was angry I was so so angry like I was fuming and it took me a while of getting angry before I actually like kind of broke down and softened because it's hard to soften almost like I'd rather be angry because you want to hate someone you want to get angry but yeah then eventually I I softened and yeah it was just devastating and where did you feel like your anger was directed? Like who did you feel angry with? Because I think sometimes when we feel angry, we're a bit ashamed of that anger. And I do actually think it would probably be really helpful because there would be so many people listening going, I feel angry at this person even though I know in my heart of hearts it's not their fault. Yeah, my own body because, yeah. you know, having autoimmune problems and having health problems, it always feels like my body's failing me. Yeah. You know, and it, it was just, again, my body's failed. Yeah. So, yeah, mostly myself. What did it look like in the coming weeks? Like, did you decide to wait and see if your body recognized that loss and had a spontaneous miscarriage or were you recommended to have a DNC? What- I wanted, yeah, I wanted a DNC yeah. straight away. I was kind of like, get this out of me. I, it doesn't feel right. Like, it was just devastating. I, you know, now as a mum, I probably would say I'd like to try to have a miscarriage at home. But at mm. that time, I just, I couldn't deal with losing a baby at home. I needed to be asleep. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. So I had a DNC, I think the following, not the second day. So two days later, I had a DNC and we were just kind of waiting on the genetic testing to come back to see whether it was my body that you know terminated the pregnancy or was there a genetic issue and that's when we found out that it was a genetic issue and um yeah so I was initially really pleased I was like this is great it's not my body my body hasn't failed me it was a genetic Mm. you know it, it was a genetic issue and then my obstetrician was kind of like whoa it's a genetic issue, but it's a very serious one. He had a triploidy, which is almost an entirely full set of chromosomes from my husband. So an entirely extra set. And she was like, this is commonly associated with something called a partial molar pregnancy. And all she said was don't get pregnant. She's like, you cannot get pregnant. You need to track your HCG to zero Mm -hmm. and do not get pregnant. And I was like, what? 
Like Isn't our is, whole plan to get pregnant? Yeah, that's so weird to, like, to turn around and be told that. You're like, no, 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 that's literally the plan. 100%. Were you Googling like crazy? Yep. Yeah. And the first thing you Google when you Google molar, partial molar pregnancy or molar pregnancy is chemotherapy. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding? And... So fast forward, I went to my GP and I got slips to get my HCG tracked. I was getting blood draws every week to track my HCG and it was going down, but this was like the end of October and it was going down exceptionally slowly, but it was going down. And then we get to January 2021 and it actually went up. So my HCG had risen and I wasn't pregnant. And so you're tracking this for literal months. months. It's not just like go and track this for a week or so. Yeah, months. Oh, that would have been so hard because you're watching the clock thinking that's months that I could be having a baby. Yeah. Yep. Did you ever want to ignore the advice and just be like, oh, you know, there's HCG there. Can I just kind of like add to it? Yeah, we did. And that's why I was kind of like, oh, my goodness, could I be pregnant or like, what is it? But mm-hmm. I had a real tugging and pulling in my uterus feeling. And that's kind of what it feels when I have implantation normally. But it, this felt different. Like it was a very, it felt like a very big pulling and tugging. So me being me and because I felt like my doctor, my OB had kind of checked out at that point. She was just like nowhere to be found. And so I called the doctor and I arranged a private ultrasound and I'm just very typically me I'm like can you turn the screen please I'd like to see what I'm looking at here and the guy doing the ultrasound was so so lovely and all I saw immediately was this big big mass in my uterus and I said to the guy I was like that's not meant to be there is it and he was really lovely and he said no no it's not and he said, have you heard of GTD or GTN, gestational trophoblastic disease or neoplasia? And I said, yes, I have. And I said, that's actually why I'm here. And he said, okay, cool. So you know what that is? And he's like, obviously he couldn't tell me anymore. But, you know, from the fact that he even referenced that, I was like, yep, it's a tumor. So I had a tumor growing in my uterus and I contacted the GTD registry with the Royal Women's here in Melbourne and they got me in straight away and I think within a week I went in for a second DNC um, and that's where they sort of told me this was probably the worst. This is when I kind of hit my lowest of the low. Yeah. And I went in for surgery and I woke up from surgery and it was meant to be day, just a day surgery I was going home. And you know when you're like waking up from anaesthetic and you're half asleep and you can barely open your eyes, you can barely keep yourself awake and I was just, you know, trying to open my eyes and all I heard was these doctors and nurses around me and they were quite busy and they've gone, okay, we're going to take Katie up to the ward. She's staying overnight and she's starting chemotherapy in the morning. Oh no. And I was just like, what? And you know, when, you know, you're half asleep, you're coming out of it, you're not Mm. cognizant. And I just remember no one was listening to me. I was trying to say, what, what help? Like what's going on? And I just grabbed this nurse's hand next to me and I just looked at her and she could see I was devastated. I was stressed. I looked like a deer in headlights. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm going home. I'm going home. And she was so sweet. And she kind of just stopped. And she was like, darling, she was like, your tumour was bigger than we thought. And it started to invade your uterine wall. 
So you're going to be starting chemo in the morning. And I was just like, oh, that's it. You know, like it had already taken months to get to that point. And I kind of felt like I had no more left in me. And now that window of getting pregnant, that thought of getting pregnant and getting pregnant ASAP, you know, when you're dealing with infertility, you just have this sense of it's so hasty, like this sense of urgency, like I need to get pregnant now. I needed to be pregnant yesterday. And all of a sudden that was like now gone. I can so relate to that sentiment. And I feel like I've said those exact words before I needed to be pregnant yesterday. And like, it's funny, not funny, but the fact that you're embarking on chemotherapy, which is obviously going to do a doozy on you for so many reasons, but that is how single laser focused you become on wanting to be bloody pregnant that like that's your thoughts like that's what it's about it's you know it's not about all the other things it's just like this is going to put off having a baby and yeah you just there's nothing you want more there's nothing you want did you have eggs and embryos any more frozen we had none we'd not done IVF at that point oh you were just doing immune protocol and trying Yeah. yeah right yeah okay and so were there any worries about the chemotherapy and your eggs definitely yep so it can do a number obviously on your egg reserve and it takes quite a while for your eggs and your kind of ovaries to bounce back so yeah and it it did take a while to bounce back and there was no it wasn't an option to delay things to do that it was this chemo needs to be started now yeah exactly because I couldn't go through the hormones necessary it would just make my cancer grow yeah and we obviously couldn't have that happen what a vicious yeah cycle not even that's not even the right word but like just a catch 22 where the thing you want is going to make you more unwell yep for people that might not be really well versed in gestational trophoblastic disease like in your the best of your knowledge so basically like you fell pregnant the egg was fertilized by a sperm and then it because of this extra chromosome set is why what I'm trying to get at is what causes it to become cancerous, like to your knowledge. So there's two types. You've got partial molar, which is what I had, and that's where a baby actually forms, but the baby's not compatible with life and they always die. I think there's only one instance of a child being born that they did die quite soon after. And then there's a molar pregnancy, which is where no baby forms. It's just a cluster of cells. So essentially in my case and basically in all cases, the trophoblastic cells of the placenta have the ability to turn cancerous in some cases, not all. That's why it's really important to track your HCG to zero because the cancer cells and the potential cancerous cells grow off HCG. So it fuels their growth. That must have added so many strange, confusing layers to the grief of losing that baby and then going and what that being, that energy that was inside me has made me unwell, like more unwell on top of already unwell years I've been in. Like, Was there a potential that when they did that second DNC, if it hadn't have grown or hadn't invaded, you wouldn't have need chemotherapy? Could they have just physically removed the set? Yeah. Yeah, so there was a 40% chance that second DNCs remove it 
So there's more like a 60% chance that you go on to need chemo. And is that, did you say six months of chemo is what they prescribe? Yeah. So I did, I think it was four or five rounds of chemotherapy and I was so, so lucky. I know it's weird to say that, but I was so, so lucky that after my DNC and my first round or my first or second round of chemo, I went, it, it started to decrease and I was pretty much at zero. So or, or almost at zero, I think after the first two rounds, I was at like 75. So that was awesome. So I only needed like four extra consolidation rounds. But some people, obviously, the first round doesn't work. And then it takes them multiple rounds to get to zero. And then you have to do your four consolidation rounds on top right. of it. And I was lucky that my first line of treatment worked. I've got friends, you know, all over the world now, which is really beautiful. But I've got friends who the first line didn't work, the second line didn't work, and they had to move on to a third line. So, you know, as much as it's all awful, I was really, really lucky that, you know, my first line of treatment actually worked for me. And yeah, I'm always very grateful for that. And what was having that chemotherapy like? (laughs) It was really shit. Like it was really awful. I opted for, I had two options. It could have been like a high dose of methotrexate every second day for like a seven-day cycle, seven days on, seven days off kind of thing. Or I could have waited and done actinomycin, which was just an IV every two weeks. And because I am me and I like everything done yesterday, Mm. I have to wait an extra week to get on the ACT. Whereas I could have done the chemo the following day in the hospital if I did the every second day shots. So I was like, we're doing those shots. And in hindsight, I wish I had have just done the fortnightly you know, IVs because it would have been so much easier with work. But yeah, it was just, it was really difficult and I was exhausted. I felt sick all the time. I was really bloated. I put on so much weight. I had uh, really nasty ulcers all down my throat. I could barely swallow. And the fatigue, (laughs) the fatigue was like nothing else. I've been first trimester pregnant. I've got chronic health fatigue as well. This was like nothing else. Like, Ah, I could barely keep my eyes open. I was just completely, completely white. And did you, were you in a position where you were not going to know until the end of it how much it had affected your fertility? Yeah, correct. Yep. So I had to wait until my cycles returned because obviously when you're on that heavier drug, everything disappears. I stopped growing leg hair, which was awesome. You know, so that was, that was a plus. plus. So I stopped growing leg hair, but my hair started to thin. It was pretty awful, but yeah, so it was going to be quite a while until, so then the chemo's over, the wait to get your period back. Like it's just, it was just waiting and waiting and waiting. waiting. I just, and I'm the most, one of the most impatient people I know. And it was just like, why is the universe punishing me? Like I can't wait anymore. Yeah. And yeah, just, it was like, yeah, you're going to wait, love. You're going to keep waiting. And isn't that like one of the things people love to just say to you so much is like, just relax or just be positive. And you're just like, holy crap. Like I think even the most patient person, I'm I'm so impatient as well, but even the most patient person I imagine, because I don't know what it's like (laughs) to be them, they would find this this situation difficult. People say those things like about divine timing, you know, it's, you know, this is just your journey and you're like, yes, this was, the divine time for me to have cancer. Have a cancer. Great. Fabulous. Oh, my favorite one is it'll, it'll be your turn soon. Oh. That would just, 
both infuriate me and bring me to tears because it's like, it's my turn. It was my turn three pregnancies ago. Yeah. Like, and it's so invalidating of where you're absolutely. at. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. I'll just sit here and be really happy about my turn that's coming. Like I would not feel shit anymore. And did the methotrexate have any impact on your scleroderma with it being an, or I just, I feel like autoimmune things are affected by everything. So I imagine methotrexate probably affected it too. It does. So scleroderma, one of the treatments for really, really serious scleroderma is actually a low dose methotrexate. Oh, so people take methotrexate, the biologics, they take methotrexate, like a very, very small dose tablet. So that was another thing the doctors were like, this could probably have a positive impact on your scleroderma. It didn't. Yeah, no real, no impact. Maybe less physical pain. I wasn't in as much physical pain as, as normal, but I don't care about the physical pain. I just wanted a baby. But surely you were so fatigued, you wouldn't have been doing a great deal as 100%. well. 100%. It's yeah. not like I was like, oh, great, I don't have pain. I'm just going to go run down the street. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no running. There was no nothing. <laughs> so how long did it take for your cycle to come back and then were you able to start trying again straight away, naturally at home? <sighs> Is that where you went? So you're actually, there's, there's another zinger here. Once your chemotherapy is finished, in Australia, you have to wait 12 months. Oh, my gosh. Until you're allowed to start trying again. And, yeah, so in overseas, it's six months. So I got into a lot of argy-bargy with the doctors about, like, you're so backwards. Everywhere else is six months. Like, I'm not waiting 12 months. I'm not waiting. So me being me, of course, I didn't wait 12 months. I think I waited six or seven months and then we started trying and that's when we started having more and more chemicals. I think I ended up with like four chemicals in a row, a beautiful OB that we were with. We love him so much. He actually called me because I was with him for my third pregnancy, my partial molar. I was with him initially for our first couple of scans, but then I was like, we live on the peninsula. And I was like, oh, I really want to give birth on the peninsula at the bays. So I wanted to go there. And so we left him. But anyway, he called me during my chemotherapy and was like, because Amanda had told him what I was going through. Mm. And he was like, I just wanted to say, I'm so sorry you're going through this. If you ever need, you know, reproductive help in the future, you know, I'm always here for you. And it was just, yeah, yeah. need that genuine connection. Exactly. Yeah. So our OB was really wonderful. So we went to him and he even advocated for us to have that 12 months reduced because we wanted to do ovulation induction. And then if that wasn't going to work, we were going to move to IVF. Before you go on any further, sorry, for anyone listening who doesn't understand what chemical pregnancies are, how does that differ from other miscarriages? So a chemical pregnancy or a biochemical pregnancy is when the egg is fertilized and you may be lucky enough to get a very fate line And then no sooner do you get a positive pregnancy test and the embryo starts to implant, it just, it's not, it doesn't stick. So it's unable to completely implant and then the body just loses it pretty much immediately. I think um, I'm only saying this, I also had a couple of my miscarriages, which I use the word miscarriage for them, but they technically were chemical in that they were before the six-week mark, before a pregnancy can be detected on an ultrasound is basically one of the kind of ways to be able to call it that instead of a miscarriage. But 
in speaking to other women and how I myself felt like I just feel like I need to say to anyone listening that I don't believe you need to downplay or see that as something less than or that you're not in the same boat as other people grieving miscarriages. It really is just an arbitrary term, in my opinion, and, like, I 100% respect how anyone wants to For sure, but I know there can be a bit of a, like, oh, it was a chemical and I think like in general there's so much on this journey where it's like, oh, I don't need you to qualify or quantify why I should have this amount of grief. Whether you can be upset or not. Yeah, and like, you know, I know there's a lot of women that the minute they know themselves to be pregnant, that baby is a hugely significant, meaningful thing that is happening to them, longed for, loved and lost is just as great or, you know, however they process it. But, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same. I don't know why I do tend to say chemicals and then miss miscarriage. I think it's because You've I had feel both. a lot of the stigma. And it's also really upsetting because I've had so many. I've had seven. And, and normally when people ask me, I'm like, I've had seven miscarriages. I say, I don't say, oh, this many of this, but I do say I've had seven miscarriages, but it's just like, that's so awful. And even I hate hearing that. I hate hearing that I've had seven miscarriages. Yeah. Especially because like, I was thinking back when I was preparing for this the other day and I was looking at my pregnancy test of my son, Vinny, and I was so lucky in this one. I I tested, I think on day nine, DPO. And I had a faint line and it was the same faint line that I had when I had all my chemicals. You know, it was the same kind of fake line. And it's just, it's insane to me to think that that tiny little faint line is now my son. And seven other times that I've seen that little fake, that little tiny, tiny line, I didn't get a baby. And they should have been. They should, all of those seven. They should have been a baby, and I find that obviously really challenging yeah. to deal with, and it's obviously extremely upsetting. So I think that's sometimes why I do, and just for my it's own. It's too head, confronting for you. It's so yeah. confronting. It's yeah. so so incredibly confronting. And I like this is your you know, story. And so I like deeply do not mean to offend or like, you know, put you in a position where you have to defend what words you use. I, yeah, just for sensitivity for anyone that might find that hard. Yeah. I always say that I've had seven miscarriages. Yeah. Always. Um, But when I'm talking, I guess, technically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess when you're talking about where on the journey, like, you know, if we're talking about a chronological events that's the way it was but obviously it doesn't discount how that would have no, felt at the time 100%. as well 100 they were my yeah. miscarriages they were my babies they were loved they were siblings you know yeah, yeah. so crazy isn't it like the grief just yeah. doesn't go just because you have no. a living baby it's like no, yeah a pool yeah. that's right there yeah So at some point you were able to start trying again. Did you have to do ovulation induction to bring your period back in the end? You did do that. Oh, no, no, I got it back. But because I had a loss, I think I had the first time we tried and I got pregnant, it was a loss. So then I was just like, you know, wanting to expedite the situation. And also I have really long cycles and that was also probably an effect of the chemo as well really just lengthened my cycles. So we're talking 35 to 40 days for a cycle. And it was just like, 
this isn't fair. I want to be pregnant. I was just like, I need to be pregnant by the end of 2021. So we're going to expedite this process and we're going to do ovulation induction to give me more chances to get pregnant, Mm. you know, by the end of the year. So I think we did three rounds and the first two I had losses or maybe three. So by the end of 2021, I'd had four additional losses and then December was kind of like, that's it. We need to be pregnant. It's got to happen. And so we did ovulation induction again. And that month I didn't even fall pregnant. And I was kind of like, that was my deadline to be pregnant Mm -hmm. by the end of 2021. It felt like every single person I knew was pregnant. And it was just the most crushing blow Every time I found out another person was pregnant, I was just so crushed and so like, okay, that extra person is pregnant. I need to be pregnant now. Mm -hmm. I need to be pregnant. And it just kept, you know, that, actually, I know you probably know that kind of, that pace. It just keeps getting, I keep getting more rushed and more rushed and rushed because I have to be pregnant. The parallel kind of life that's going on all around you where you, yeah, have these milestone moments where you were like, no, I was, I mean, alongside obviously all of the due dates that you've kind of lost over those seven for you miscarriages and going, well, like I would have had a this month old or yeah. I expected to be here now or we were going to be pregnant together and we were going to be due together and like all these, you just feel like I felt so frozen. I just felt like until I, for me probably well, it was like, like. you can't plan anything. I felt like I couldn't, Absolutely. but I also felt like I just didn't even know who or what I was and I couldn't even do anything in any direction, let alone with my fertility, because it was just yeah. like, I don't know what my story is right now. Like, I just don't know. Am I going to overcome this? Or like, yes. where's this ending? You know, it's this constant hypervigilant state of just like what's happening to my body and where's this ending? I don't know. And I don't know what the statistics are on this, but I feel like this was a time when a lot of people were having babies. Do you find over COVID, I mean, a lot of people, and this is not to be flippant, but I feel like it was that a lot of people in my friendship group who were really into travel or really into partying still or whatever COVID hit and the ones that were in quite long-term relationships a a lot of them it was so surprising that they just turned around and they're like oh well not doing this so may as well have a baby and I imagine being on the other side where it's like this is all I've wanted for years and not saying they don't deserve to have a baby but I imagine you being in that going oh my because it really did feel like a time when just everyone babies were everywhere yeah absolutely yeah it was and that's what made it even more crushing like people who you perhaps didn't expect Mm. you know to be pregnant so soon or you know whatever they were all pregnant and it was the flippant way that they were kind of doing their announcements oh well can't travel gonna have a babe Mm. it's like oh like if only I could make that decision that I'm just gonna have a baby like Mm the kind of the privilege that comes with just going, I'm going to have a baby. I got a positive pregnancy test and it ended up in a live baby. Yeah. Like that still blows my mind. Like we're planning for a summer newborn, you know, we're planning for an Aries and you're just like, Oh my God, I just want any baby. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Any, any sex, any star sign, any behavioral, anything, they don't sleep. I don't care. I'll take them. You know, I'll take it all. You remind Mm -hmm. me, I think, of 
probably similar to the way that I coped in that it was just uh, like head to the ground, bum up, nose down, like I am doing everything I can. I'm reading everything I can. I'm trying everything I can. I'm listening to everything I can. I'm going on forums when I probably unhealthily should stop and do something else. Is that how you kind of were coping at this time? Or like, did you find anything else that particularly helped? Like maybe you said you were seeing an acupuncturist. Was that something you continued to do? Yeah, so acupuncture, herbs, womb healings, you know, all of it, my tarot cards, all you know, all of those sorts of things work as well. I'm a high school teacher and I love my kids more than anything. You know, being around them was everything to me. So continuing to work and continuing to be busy and, you know, I love being needed, you know, and I love that I could be a source of support to my kids, particularly during such a tough time of COVID. Yeah, so that kept me grounded. And then on the side, I had my kind of side hustle, which was fertility expert, you yeah. know, so full-time it, job. it was nice to have those two kinds of, you know, I had my full day job where I was, I had no time to think about anything else, mm. but then outside of hours, you become a fertility expert. So, yeah. yeah. And did you know why you were having these recurrent miscarriages? No, absolutely not. That kind of takes us to... January and February 2022, where because I wasn't pregnant by December 2021, and that was my deadline, like that was that was it for me. I needed to be pregnant by 2021 because I couldn't have a third year of me not being mm. pregnant. And it was kind of like that was my deadline, that was my goalpost. And I haven't, I'm not there. And I was kind of like YOLO, everything, throw it all up in the air. I don't care about anything. I was like, that's it, no more, no more immune protocol, I'm done. And I started to wean off the pred. I was like, no more LMIT, none of it, I'm done. And, you know, by that point I'd put on like 20 kilos or something. Like I was heavy, you know, plus chemotherapy, which also made me bigger. You know, so I was like, that's it, I'm done. And we were kind of like, this is kind of when I really acknowledge that we're in it for the long haul because three years obviously isn't a long haul. I yeah. think that's kind of when, when I finally stopped and was like, okay, I acknowledge this is the long haul. I acknowledge we're kind of at the base of this summit and we've got a long way to go. And it's kind of when I just collapsed a little bit in the sense that I let go and I felt a lot more free because I was no longer in such a rush. Like I was still in a rush, but not the same kind of rush. And yeah, so that's when we saw a beautiful doctor. Uh, He was a Sydney-based doctor and we saw him whilst seeing our current fertility specialist in Melbourne. We were very fortunate that they were happy to do shared care. And this beautiful doctor was like, let's just test everything. And he wanted to do an additional test, which was called a Kerr test, K-I-R. And that's like a natural killer cell, but like, I think it's a deeper, a deeper cell something to do with like lymphocytes or lucas, I don't know, something like that. But all I know is that it's like another type of natural killer and he wanted to test that and that sort of came back and he was like, I don't know why you're doing all this immune protocol stuff. Your natural killer cells are high, but, you know, it's not that bad. And then the Kerr results came back and he was like, these are kind of low or was it, it was the exact opposite. And he was like, not only do you not need to suppress your immune system, we actually need to activate it. Wow. So then again, it was this another spiral on this, you know, it's just this epic emotional roller coaster. And I was kind of fuming that yeah. I'd been on immunosuppressants for so many years, and which are quite detrimental to your health in the long term. 
And I was just fuming that I'd been on all this stuff when I didn't need it, when in fact I needed to be turned on, not turned off. And was it potentially also like, did that add to me having miscarriages? Yeah, he kind of thought so because the immune system does need to be activated, obviously, to protect the embryo. And if mine's constantly turned off when it needs to be turned on, then the embryo is obviously not safe and so the body aborts it. So he kind of felt that it had something to do with it, but it's obviously like you can't say definitively. Mm. Yeah. So then it kind of started like, all right, we'll do this. And by that stage, I think it was like February. And so we'd started IVF. And yeah, I guess how do you go into that next stage? Because I can only imagine that each time you've got through each of these hurdles, you probably think, you know, as soon as you got your period back, you're probably like, okay, sweet. And then as soon as you were given the green light, okay, it's been long enough since methotrexate start. I, I imagine that your mind just goes, okay, the first time we do this, all those other things are behind us. Like it's now our time. And then yep. you go, oh my God, false start. No, it's not. Were you excited to start something new or were you nervous or were you trying to keep that same hope down that it was like, okay, well, we haven't done IVF before. So now we're going to do it and it'll be, it'll happen the first time exactly that it's gonna happen the first time we're gonna be those people that gets like a bunch of embryos first yeah. time around you know deep inside I was probably like oh crap it's probably not gonna work out but I think you have to have that hope yeah because otherwise what's the point so yeah I was definitely hopeful and I was kind of like wouldn't it be funny if we were those people and we got all these embryos and then it just took the first time and we were just really yeah. really lucky so yeah, obviously it didn't work out like that. We did our first cycle and I produced some beautiful eggs, really healthy, mature eggies. So I was very proud of myself. And then I had 11. So I think I got 23 or 24 eggs and we had 11 fertilized. And then we got the call on day five that only one embryo had made it to oh freeze. Oh my goodness. And I was just like, you know, you're there again and you're kind of desensitized at this point. But I was like, are you kidding? Like, what fresh hell is this? And I was just like, why is this happening? And obviously my research, and at this point we were kind of like looking to my husband because it had all been on me, everything, all the focus had been on me. And I think that many women who suffer with infertility, the focus is on us, the focus is on our bodies and what our bodies aren't doing or how they're failing us. And it's so rare that there's a focus on the man. And But he'd had his sperm tested before, surely. Never. No. So actually a beautiful Melbourne-based fertility doctor who we love mm. and who delivered our baby, mm. um, he tested my husband's sperm. He tested his sperm. I think when we first went to him, when we weren't even doing anything, he was like, let's test Jim, let's test your husband. Mm. And so that was a while ago. And it was okay. Everything was fine. But obviously sperm changes pretty much Mm. day to day. Mm. So I was like, that's it. We're doing another sperm test. So husband did a sperm test and he did a DNA fragmentation test. And that kind of revealed that whilst he was normal, his sperm was on the lower end of normal. And I was like, are you kidding me? So all this focus is there. I'm like, it's you. It's your fault. So there was a little bit of that and you know he was definitely on the brunt of me going I'm 20 kilos heavier and it's your fault like you know so there was a lot of that and he's beautiful and he was like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry I'm so sorry you've been through this I'm so sorry your body's been like undergoing all this plus undergoing my usual you know my general 
chronic health problems, you know, which sees me staying in hospital for about a week at a time, once a year, just for random things, you know, so I'm dealing with that on top of infertility. And so he was like, okay. And I'm like, that's it. You're going to acupuncture. You're getting herbs. We're changing your diet. You know, we're changing your sups. And he was like, okay, yep, let's do it. And so he did. And so he went to a beautiful acupuncturist as well. And he got herbs and I even got herbs from that acupuncturist. I was like, let's, let's wear in this together. Let's do it together. Compatible Um, herbs. That's right. So compatible herbs basically. And then we did our second round and our specialist was like, you really should wait, you know, but I was like, I'm not waiting. So naturally we did a second round as soon as we could, I think in April. So we did a round in April. And again, beautiful eggies from me, beautiful mature eggs. I think I got about 18 or 20 at this point. Because that's a really good result, right? Bloody great result. Yeah. Like you do not expect to have one no. embryo. Yeah. No, not from that, let alone from like 11 fertilized. Like yeah. even based on the stats, realistically, we should have had about two embryos as a minimum. Yeah. Well, isn't it just so striking when you look at, like, obviously your body is a whole different container to like what happens in an IVF lab, but you're like, what the fuck? If that is what is produced with all of these eggs, all of this sperm, all of these drugs, like how does anyone get pregnant at home? Like how? What a miracle. (laughs) Like it's actually a miracle to think like, yeah, it's just insane how it all yeah. works, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, and then yeah, again, second second round of IVF, great eggs from me. Good work, Katie. And then <laughs> high five. <laughs> yeah, high five to me. And then we get one egg fertilized out of oh, fifteen mature eggs. So a bunch retrieved, fifteen mm. mature, one fertilized. And I just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was fuming again. I couldn't, and I was devastated, like beside myself. And, you know, my husband was kind of like, maybe we should have waited, you know, a little bit. And I was like, I didn't want to wait. I'm sick of waiting. I can't wait Mm. anymore. Like I'm at, I'm at my tether of where I can wait. And then, so we tested our our embryos um, because I really wanted to rule out, you know, a triploidy again and anything like that. So the first embryo was perfect in terms of genetic testing and the second one came back as mosaic. Mm-hmm. And for us, that level of abnormal to normal cells was exactly 50%. And we were, we were happy with that. You know, that's fine. We would definitely go forward and implant a mosaic embryo. We had no problems with that. We were just grateful, so, so grateful to have two embryos. But because we had so few to play with and we were going to do another round of IVF eventually, probably using ICSI this time where they grab the most beautiful looking sperm and directly implant it um, into the egg. But while we were waiting, our beautiful doctor was like, let's do an ERA, so an embryo receptivity assay to determine the most perfect time to put your very precious little embryos in uh, so that we don't waste any. And yeah, so that was, again, waiting because I had to wait for my bloody period. It was driving me crazy, especially having a long cycle. And I got the flu. So funnily enough, being an A-type, I was like, I'm a bit bored. I'm going to go back to uni. So I also decided that oh in 22. Oh, fucking God. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go back to uni. So I went back to uni and I decided. Did you have no that, one around you to like put you on a leash or something? Oh, my God. I, need, I know. I needed to calm down. Um, mm. But I wanted to be busy. So mm. no, I, went I understand to uni, that. No, totally. And I was doing quite literally the hardest course I've ever done in my life. So I started a Juris Doctor which is basically a master of law. 
Wow. And I'm like, I'm a teacher. I've got like three three degrees, two masters already. Like I'm all over this. This is fine. It's the hardest degree I've ever done in my life, the hardest masters I've ever done in my life. So that's great. But anyway, I'm at school, I'm at uni. And obviously it's like you've just been able to go back to uni and some coffee McCofferson, that's what I call her, she comes in and she's just coughing. The whole three-hour lecture she's coughing and I'm like, I've got the worst immune system. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. Mm. I got sick. I got sick. And this is like week two of uni. I got sick and I got the flu. My husband and I got the flu so aggressively. I don't think I've ever had the flu like this. We're talking Mm. fevers of 42. And I was like, I thought that I'd ovulated already at this point. And now I'm like, okay, great. Now I've got the flu. It's, I'm not going to get pregnant because we were trying anyway, you know, still yes. trying when you're like IVF, still still trying naturally without any of the immune protocols, still trying. Anyway, I thought I'd ovulated. It gets to like day 28 of my cycle. I'm still sick. I've still got the flu. And I start testing, even though my cycle obviously is 35 plus days. I'm like, I'm going to start testing. And I'm like, I'm not pregnant. And then not only was I not pregnant, it's day 28 of my cycle. And I'm like, I think I'm ovulating. Hmm. It's like you've got that lovely, you know. The mucus. Yeah, the cervical mucus, that stretchy cervical mucus. And I'm like, I'm ovulating. So I whip out an ovulation test. And sure as hell, they're these two stark, you are ovulating lines. And I was like, Jim, Jim, quick. <laughs> like, get in, the ba- get in the bedroom. Get your fluey, sweaty body in here. <laughs> So we were both starting to feel better then, but like still, still not a hundred percent. And I was like, get in quick, we're going. And so obviously we did. And then I'm impatient. So like nine days later, I was like, I'm going to test. And cause you know, my cycle at this point was just like, what, 40 plus days. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I still haven't done my ERA. Like I need my period to hurry up and come. So I was kind of like, if I pee on a stick tomorrow and I'm not pregnant, I'm going to do a castor oil pack to force a bleed. So I was going to do castor oil to try and encourage a bleed. And I was, this should really tip me off if I'm being honest, because I was really calm. Normally, before I get my period, I'm beside myself because Mm. it's another month that I'm not pregnant. Yeah. You know, I didn't have the sore boobs. I'm grabbing my boobs. Mm. Like, am I pregnant? You know, and I didn't have sore boobs. I didn't have a tugging and pulling sensation, you know, for implantation that I would normally have. And I was like, great, I'm not pregnant. So I was like, I'm going to have a drink. I don't drink. So that night before, like, I think this was 8 DPO, you know, technically (laughs) in terms of my ovulation, which is so bloody early. And I was like, I'm going to have a drink. So I had like a small glass of whiskey. And then I was really, really calm, really relaxed. And there was no breakdown you know, ahead of my period. And I was like, you know, there's that little glimmer of hope inside you. And I'm like, maybe I am pregnant because I'm so calm. And I was like, nah, I'm not. I'm, I'm just, this is just the new me. I'm calm. And then, and then I'm the day came. I'm a whiskey drinking gal. <laughs> I just, this, yeah, I'm a whiskey Studying drinking. Studying law, I drink whiskey and I'm calm I'm now. Calm. <laughs> this is me. I'm just a real YOLO gal. And then, then the morning arrives and I'm like, I'll pee on a stick. And I peed on a stick like I always do. And I put it down. I looked at it. I'm getting this joy from you saying the words pee on a stick. I think we are both addicts. And I'm just like, <laughs> you saying like nine DPO. I'm just like, yeah. yes, like getting to that point is just obviously yeah. difficult, but so 100%. exciting. Yeah. So I was like nine DPO. I'm normally pregnant by then. I'm going to give it a crack. Mm-hmm. So I look at this and I'm like, I'm looking at the stick and you just stare at it. I don't know about you, but I'm just staring at this stick and I'm like, 
is it going to show up as immediately pregnant? And I'm staring and I'm still sitting on the toilet. And then I put it down and then I pick it back up and I'm still staring at it. And I'm like, there's a line. There's a line. It's a really, really faint line. And if I'm honest, it's the same faint line that I've seen seven times prior. So it's the eighth time that I've seen this line. And I kind of took a deep breath and I put it down and I got up, went into the kitchen and I said to my husband, I'm like, there's a line. It's saying we're pregnant again. And just like stone cold sober. Matter of And fact. he was like, okay. And he looked at it and he's like, yeah, okay. No reaction from either of us. Like that's how desensitized we had become to seeing a beautiful positive pregnancy test. Yeah. yeah. And I was kind of like, I'll do a test tomorrow morning. And if it's positive again, you know, then we might be in with a chance. Because I was, you know, with my early pregnancy losses, mine were pretty much instant. So I would no sooner would I pee on a stick. Would you usually do that? Like, because I have been known to take quite a few pregnancy (laughs) tests and actually to my detriment, it can really become a bit of a problem if you're looking for that, for your validation of your pregnancy being viable or not, doing those repeat tests. Is that what you were used to doing as well? Is that how you would usually kind of, I guess, find out that the pregnancy was on its way out by doing 100%. tests like 24, 48 hours apart yep. at home. Yeah, yeah. constantly. Yeah. So I would even do them like multiple times a day. Oh, because, no, Katie. Because <laughs> there's a certain brand of pregnancy test which is notorious for like lines, indents. evaporation lines, yeah, yeah. indents. So not only was I doing those expensive pregnancy tests, but I had like 45 million like cheapies, the internet mm-hmm. cheapies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was peeing on all of them and they were all consistent. But with this pregnancy, I was like, I need to take a breath. So I only did the one and I was like, I'm not even going to pee on one tonight. I'm just going to wait until the morning. And I did wait. And then the following morning, it was like really much darker. Like it was a no. dark line. And again, I took a deep breath and I said to my husband, it's darker, but we're still obviously not in the clear. And we were both kind of like, oh, oh. And there was like a little wry smile from both so of us. So had that never happened before? Well, your 11-week oh, pregnancy. Oh, sorry, your 11-week. Yeah. Yeah, but like this was the second time that they had actually started to get darker. Yeah. So the, it was such trepidation, you know, and we were just like, it, there was no celebration. We actually never celebrated that pregnancy because it's like you feel like it's going to be bad luck if you do. Yeah. So there was no excitement like, yay, we're pregnant, my stick, mm-hmm. the positive pregnancy test, woo, none of it, absolutely none of it. It was just like it was so clinical. We were like, okay, okay, it's, it's showing up as positive. We're going to do a test in 24 hours. We're going to see what else happens. And, you know, you've got your permanent marker and you're writing 9 DPO, 10 DPO, 11 DPO, and it's getting darker and darker. And then I think it got to about 14 DPO and I called my doctor and I was like, can I please have a beta. So I arranged for a beta test and came back positive. And again, you know, they're on the phone and I'm like, okay, like, because I've had a partial molar pregnancy, I need to make sure that my, my HCG isn't too high. So I'm like, is it low enough? But is it high enough? Like, is yeah. it within the appropriate, mm-hmm. you know? Nothing is so, really good news no, because you're weighing news. up yeah. what that could also mean. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, we just kind of were like, all right, let's get to this point. Let's get to this point. Let's get to this point. Still no excitement, still no celebration. And, yeah, obviously that turned into our incredibly beautiful son who we have. Hell yeah. Uh, hell yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and it was a beautiful pregnancy, but, and it was very, very smooth sailing and I was strangely calm. 
like this whiskey drinking gal was no yeah. longer drinking whiskey, but <laughs> she was strangely calm. I was really calm throughout the whole pregnancy. Kind of the only thing that threw me off was every time I needed a scan and our yeah. OB was beautiful and so supportive. We did weekly scans and even up until the day my sweet, sweet love was born, I entered every single scan like this with my yeah. eyes closed and I just would say to our OB or our sonographer, whoever I had, I was like, let me know once you found their heartbeat. Mm. And my heart was in my chest and I just, I couldn't look. I couldn't bear to look at another screen with hopeful eyes. You know, looking at the screen with such hope, you know, that your baby's going to be in there and that you're going to see a heartbeat. I couldn't bring myself to have that level of excitement, you know, looking at that scan full of hope. I couldn't bring myself to that. I just had to, every scan I had to cover my eyes, you know, to kind of manage my expectations in case they said there's no heartbeat. Is there any part of you now that you know that he's here and he's well that you could go back and savour those times or are you just kind of like that's that's a part of? Yeah, no, I, I can't. I yeah. still can't. Even when I think about the pregnancy and I think of looking at those scans, mm. you brought back to all those emotions that PTSD is so strong, you know, and you just, I can't, I can't think of it. And even when I was pregnant, I had a beautiful doula and, you know, we went through so much and it was just, and I have an amazing psychologist, I should say, shout out to Sylvia, you're a queen. (laughs) Um, But but honestly, like, you know, I just, I I don't know, I couldn't, I I couldn't kind of rationalize I'm pregnant and I'm so excited to be pregnant and I couldn't bridge that disconnect between being pregnant and having a baby. Yeah. Those two concepts were Mm. so polar opposite to me that there was such a disconnect between being pregnant and having a child. Yeah. Even to the point of buying clothes for him, I didn't know what to buy. I didn't know what toys to buy because I couldn't allow myself to imagine Mm. that I had a child. I couldn't imagine myself with a baby. I don't know if you felt this, but I, for me, in my two pregnancies, I've got three children, but the two that happened after my journey of recurrent miscarriage that ended up being viable, that feeling that you're talking about became so minute in that even the thought like I'm pregnant felt like I was lying to even say that. Like it just, I couldn't even find like a thought in my brain that felt comfortable to have. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. You're battling your own mind going, don't think I'm pregnant because I'm pregnant means a blossoming tummy. It means a baby at the end of it. It means congratulations. It means a baby shower. My I'm pregnant isn't that. So these words don't feel right for me to even say to myself. Yep. And when I told my best friends, my beautiful girlfriends, I actually texted it to all of them separately. Um, I texted them because I was like, I actually haven't said the words out loud that I'm pregnant. Yeah. And it took me, I think I was probably close to 15, 16 weeks before I actually said I'm pregnant. I couldn't say the words. Like Mm. I couldn't even, I couldn't even enunciate it. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel so emotional. That like breaks my heart, but I know... I don't know. I don't, I, of all the things you've said, it's just like so unfair that you aren't able to. You're in a prison, like you're just yeah. in a prison of your own grief and journey that's just been constant. Yeah. And it's so exciting as well, but like you don't feel excited. 
like, and yes, I was calm and it, it did feel different. Like yeah. for me, I know a lot of women, it doesn't feel different. For me, it felt different. This pregnancy definitely was different. Hence that over, like that overtone of kind of calmness was mm. prevalent throughout my entire pregnancy. But still you have that anxiety, that undercurrent of anxiety that it's not going to be okay. And you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, because I don't get a happy ending. You know, I'm not yeah, that that's not person. my story. Yeah, yeah, it's not my story. Let alone to get pregnant, you know, for free. My husband <laughs> was like, well, "This was free. This is a bargain. <laughs> it's a bargain." Like you hadn't already spent, however much you'd already spent. <laughs> but he was free. My son was free. Like, yeah, it's just it's crazy. I've got two pressing questions. What do you, A, attribute like that sense of calm to? Like I'd love to know if that's something you kind of think of as like a spiritual thing of him inside you, kind of giving you that energy that he was going to be here. And B, what do you attribute your fucking free pregnancy to? Like why do you think it worked that time? So the calmness definitely, I'm definitely a deeply spiritual person, which is, I kind of, I guess kind of strange, like being type A driven, like obsessed with like uni and work, you know, and then also being deeply spiritual. I think it was, you know, my tarot cards finally came up right. And also just that, that feeling of like, I know this being inside my belly. I know he's okay. He is a force. Yeah. You know, he was, he, his energy was completely different and his energy was calm and it was like, I could really feel him. It made me cry. That's I could so really. Nice. <laughs> I could really feel him. He's a force of a child. You know, he really is. And I could feel him deeply, you know, inside me. And I'd never really felt that before. Yeah. So, you know, I really felt that he knew what he was about. And I knew that he knew he was going to be okay. So, you know, that I, I, I trusted that, you know, that in terms of my spirituality and me knowing that I connected with this beautiful soul. Yeah, that was very much, That's so I guess, beautiful. one of the reasons I was calm. Yeah. What was your other question? I've just forgotten. Well, I guess like what more medically, what then? do you think happened? Why? Oh, yes, Why did course. he work? The free pregnancy, the, the free one, the no money. I don't know. I think it was just a myriad of things, but I do deeply believe in the curse cells and I believe in the activation of the immune system because I was sick as a dog. Yeah. I was so sick, you know, and for a pregnancy, like for me to ovulate on day 28 and get pregnant and my baby's over there looking at him, like for that to happen, I think it must have something to do with the immune system being activated rather than suppressed. Yeah. And I think that like when you deal with recurrent loss and you have these immune issues, people kind of, point to that immune protocol as a be all and end all and to have done that so many times and to have failed so many times you know and to then get pregnant for free with no immune protocol it's just insane like it's miraculous yeah like a proper miracle and I guess like yeah I think I think for me it was a combination of things I think it was my husband doing acupuncture I think it was him doing herbs I think it was me doing herbs I think it was me getting sick and having my immune system so we love you know. coffee mccough cough or whatever yeah. we call her in the end God bless her. we love it coffee we're just gonna need her to simulate that exact <laughs> thing you. for every woman out there I know exactly so yeah 
And when did it become real for you? You know, like you couldn't quite believe it the whole pregnancy, even though you were calm. Was it something that was instantaneous when you met him or was there still that, oh my goodness, someone or something could take you away from me? No, so my, my birth story was a bit of a doozy. Um, I really wanted a physiological natural birth with my beautiful doula. But yeah, after like three, four days in labor and it just not progressing and me being like, something's wrong, something's wrong. And then us going in and funnily enough, I said to my doula, she's like, do you have any like residual fears? Like you've processed everything. And I was like, my only residual fear is meconium. I'm like, that is the only thing that could derail my birth. Yeah. Anyway, so we went in on like day four of labor and my OB broke my waters and there was meconium and my son was in distress. And so anyway, ended in an emergency Caesar, Mm. which was so not what I wanted. Mm. And I couldn't even watch. The drape was clear. So you're meant to watch. And I'm like, this is shit. This is shit. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I wasn't because I'm, you know, I've got a lot of medical trauma and I've had, I think, 23 surgeries. And I was just like, this is shit. I can't feel my arm. What's that? I've got a headache. Like I was just enunciating every single thing that was happening to me. And then they're like, Katie, look at your baby. Your baby's born. And I could barely, I could barely look at him. And then I looked up and I saw him and it was the most beautiful. I don't know if it happened to you guys, but it's that rush, that warm rush. Like all of a sudden my body was warm and I had this beautiful warm rush over me, that oxytocin rush. And they brought my beautiful love over to me and they placed him completely nude on my chest And yeah, I completely forgot that I was in a theater. I completely forgot I was having a cesarean. All I thought of was my son and that was it. That was it. He was there. And yeah, that disconnect was obviously broken because he was there and he was on my chest. So yeah, it took until that exact moment that the doctor Mm. held him up and showed me my baby for me to be like, okay, I have a child. It's so beautiful the way that you tell your story because it's like I fucking can connect to it so much and like that feeling of meeting your baby regardless of if you've had a long journey to get him or her is huge and you know momentous and often can be filled with love and sometimes that can be delayed but like I just feel for you that added layer of like not only is he here but like you're that woman that now that story of you being struggling, of you being, no, this doesn't happen for me, like that story's over and like what an yeah. amazing new lease on life for you to feel that about yourself and know like, oh, I'm, no, I'm this woman, I'm a mother and I have this beautiful boy and like my journey is, I don't know if you're planning more, but like somewhat over, like yeah, it's so massive that moment, like to just close the doors on an incredible, like you said, becoming a fertility expert in your spare yeah, time and you're like. over your whole it identity. Does. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it was massive and like. Yeah, now I'm a mummy. Yeah. I'm a mummy and I, I've always wanted to be a mummy, even yeah. like with my students. I, I mother them all the time. Like I love them. You know, they're, they're everything to me, you yeah. know, and I've always wanted to be a mum and I've always felt so maternal. And I, even when I had all my seven losses, I was a mum to my baby still. Yes. You know, and I still consider, oh, it gets emotional again. But I, was st- I still consider myself a mum, you know, to those beautiful babies. But now I'm a mum to a baby who is earthside. And it's the most beautiful privilege and it's such an honour to be his mum. You know, it's it's phenomenal and I feel like, you know, I know not everybody feels like they're defined by motherhood, but for me, like, 
it, it was such a huge thing in my life. I always, always wanted to be a mum and now I am. And it's, it's everything to me. It genuinely is my greatest achievement despite my million degrees, <laughs> you know, like Aww. this is my greatest achievement. Do you just look at him sometimes still and like just trip out? Because I remember after having Harvey, my second born, God, like that PTSD, like, no, yeah. you're not in the grips of it. But I would just stare at where his body was in my house and have yep. this constant kind of feeling of sliding doors going, what if he wasn't there? What if I wasn't looking at his little face and his little legs? Like, I can't believe he's there and he so easily couldn't be. And there's so many people for like, that's not happening for them yet. And you're just like, I didn't do anything special. I don't know why. I don't know how. And for me, same as you, like there's so many half answers. I never mm -hmm. have got a clear picture on it to be like, which I think is often the case. Where there's no like tie it all up with a bow. But you just look at that. I used to, I literally would look at him and say to him out loud like, thank you for being here. Thank you. Like I would thank him like pretty much every day, I think, until he was one. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Funnily enough, yes, I'm looking at him right now, my husband and him in the garden and they're playing and he's crawling around on the lawn oh. and a Labrador is playing with them as well. Like it's ridiculous. I constantly yeah. look at him and, you know, when he is asleep, which is very rare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got what you wanted, a sleepless baby. <laughs> I got a sleepless baby. I didn't yeah. care. I, I still don't care. Yes. But I look at him and I look at my husband and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, we made him and he's here. Yeah. And he's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, you're magical. Like, you are, you are just a force. Like, and he is the most determined, strong-willed, like, insane little dude. And it's like, of course you are. Um, yeah. But it's like, I love this. I love that you are a person and I love that, you know, you are you. Like it's just, yeah, it's nuts. It's so yeah. nuts and I'm so grateful. I, I do it a thousand times a day. I stare at him a thousand times a day. And yeah. when he wakes me up every hour on the hour at night and we co-sleep, he has a crib attached to our bed, but he doesn't sleep in it. You know, and when he wakes me up every hour in the hour and he wraps his arms around my neck and he puts his little head in my neck the exact same way that he did when he was first placed on my chest when he was born, he does that. He did that last night. He does it every night. And for him to wrap his little arms around me like that, you know, I don't care. I don't care how sleep deprived I am. I just love that, you know, I'm his mummy, you know, it's beautiful. Oh, what a lucky little boy. I know. I can't well. wait for him to oh, listen to this one day. I like, know. can you imagine? I'm sure he'll feel it all the time. Oh, but to hear you yeah. speak of him, like, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm amazing. In awe of him. Like, he's a weapon. He is a, he's genuinely a weapon. He'll be nine months old tomorrow. And yeah, he's, he's a force. You're maybe He'll not. be listening to this back when he's like sneaking out of the house to go down to the park and he'll be like, mom, you said I could do whatever. You love me so much. You love me, right? <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you're like even thinking this with him being nine months, but is, is Vinny it, do you think? Is no. He, no. My husband's happy with one and done. Yeah. But I want like as many babies as I can have. Yeah. Like. I want so many. And like this year, I think one of my biggest fears with having a baby was my chronic health problems. And this year, like everything that was shit has happened. Like I had a C-section and that sucked. 
and I have a lot of problems like scleroderma really affects my feet and I had problems with my right foot. Now I've got problems with my left foot. I've been in, well, I was in a moon boot since June and then I had surgery in July and we spent an entire week in the hospital and my son was with me during that entire week. And then I, all up, I was in a moon boot for four months and I still can't walk properly. I'm still learning how to walk. Yeah. And that was like my worst nightmare, but I don't care. Mm. Like it's all been fine. Like my my worst fears have been realized. And I also had hernia surgery a couple of weeks ago, you know, so like, but <laughs> I'm all G. I'm just, yeah. I'm fine. Do you, you know? think you would approach having another baby differently because you do have a child? How do you in get the serious now? flu? Like, is that going to be? How do I get the flu? Well, you, you have a child now, it's fine. You'll get the flu all the time. <laughs> I know. Um, yes, I would approach having a child differently. I feel like because I'm so blessed that I have a baby and I know that it doesn't happen for everyone and my heart is with everyone. Oh, I'm going to cry. I just, I'm nonstop crying. But my heart is with everyone in the trenches. Like I've been there and I know how it feels and I know the desperation that comes from being there. And yeah, my heart is with all of those people. But because I'm so blessed and I have a baby, I think going into, and we want to try again soon because I'm 35, you know, I'm getting up there, you know, we want to try again soon. So I think I will be more relaxed, but even the thought of it, like just buying more pregnancy tests, like I feel sick, you know, and I only just got my first period like last week, you know, because he's exclusively breastfed and won't take a bottle. Yeah. Um, So I only just got my period back, but like, yeah, I think approaching a baby, a second baby, God, even the thought of saying baby number two, like the privilege, you know, mm. for me to even say that. Oh, I think I'll okay. be more relaxed. Another thing for me is having all these health problems is that, you know, that narrative that my body has failed me. It's yeah. not the case at all. My body is amazing. Mm. You know, my body is phenomenal. My body is strong and it grew a child, you know, and I have full faith that my body could do it again. So I think I have that confidence in my body that I've never had before. Mm. You know, even though it ended in the C-section, like I still have that confidence that my body can do this. I can do it Mm. again. So, yeah, I think I I will enter that having a sense of calm Mm. and definitely no fear, you know, that I can do this. I know I can do it again. Yes, it may take Coffee McCofferson giving me a, a cold again, you know, and yes, all the stars have to align kind of thing. I know that. But yeah, definitely calmer yeah. and more hopeful that it, it may work. And if it doesn't work, I know I've got two beautiful embryos on ice that I'm so fortunate enough to fall back on. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's an absolute honor and a privilege to help you share your beautiful story. Oh, yeah, I'm so um, grateful. So thank you so thank much you. for being so open and honest about it as well. Yeah. No, I'm so, so grateful to you. And yeah, I love both your podcasts and luxury, you know, your podcast got me through so many dark times. So, you know, the fact that I get to share my story and hopefully be you know, something that gives a, light in the dark. a little bit of hope, you know, especially being recurrent loss and recurrent failed um, immune protocol. Like I don't feel like there's a lot of stories, yeah. you know, like mine with a happy ending. 
Yeah. So the fact that I can be one is just, it's such a gift and a privilege. You've been amazing. Like your story is so, so beautiful. Like you're an absolutely beautiful person and it's a pleasure to know you and to be able to hear your story and share it with everyone. So thank you, Katie. Thank you both. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Behind the Bump. If you loved today's episode, you can head to our Facebook group, Behind the Bump, where you can join in the conversation, find support and so much more. It's linked in the show notes. Until next week, bye-bye.